Let's begin. <clears throat> Are we on yet, Dan? Okay, thank you. Huh, well, once again, good morning. I, uh, I'm becoming more excited about what we're studying because we're coming to the crescendo. You know what that means. We're coming to the highest point of the entire study. Today we're going to finish the garments, talking about the garments of the high priest. Uh, maybe we won't finish today. I think next week we have two more garments and then we'll do some of the consecration of the priests and so on. I think the week after that we're going to be getting into the activity of the Day of Atonement. Now in preparation for that, uh, you may raise your hand on this, you may not. <clears throat> it's up to you. How many of you have at least somewhat of a decent understanding or knowledge of the book of Leviticus? How many of you have something of a decent understanding and knowledge of the book of Leviticus? And you see, this is what's happened in the church. We have fallen for something inadvertently, purposefully, whatever. And because we understand that Jesus Christ has certainly fulfilled all the requirements of God for our salvation. Amen? Is anything necessary to be completed for our salvation? Nothing at all, ever again. If that were the truth, then Jesus lied when he said it is finished. So we're not talking about that. But where we have failed as a group of people, Christians in general, is to go back and look at the roots, at the foundations, at that which was required until Jesus came. And why is it so necessary? Because once we begin to look, even a cursory look of Leviticus, once we begin to see the, the numbers of offerings that were mandatory on a daily basis, the requirement of what the priest had to do in order to enter into the tabernacle, and especially on the Day of Atonement, the specifications of the high priest's activities on that day, and the various activities that he had to go through in order to make atonement for sin. What it does, it shows first the radicalness of our sin. It shows the terror of God's wrath against sin. It shows the unspeakable cost for the averting of the wrath of God. Remember the forgiving of our sin by putting away the wrath of God in the blood of the, uh, the uh, atonement. It shows all this, and it gives, gives us a better understanding of what our sin is to God and how we, even today as believers, are to approach God. And so I, I tell you what, by looking ahead and already, you know, going ahead and studying for that while I'm doing this, it has been a sobering thing for me to go back and look at all of this and get the details. So what I would ask you to do in preparation, I don't know whether we'll get into it next week. We might, but at least within the next week after that, we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement. Prepare yourself for this by reading Leviticus 16. And not only just reading the verses there, there are about 30, 31 verses, I think, could 34, maybe forget exactly how many verses. But not only reading the verses, perhaps getting some kind of a commentary or going online and reading some good commentaries about this that give explanation and 
give us the understanding of the type, you know, what it's talking about in reference to Christ. So when we come together, we're on the same page in a better way, and we can receive and rejoice in the revelation in a better way. Father, thank you so much for your work among us. Father, thank you so much for this great salvation, as Hebrews calls it. Father, that we may not be neglecting it, which is the habit of so many. Father, cause us to know the warnings in the book of Hebrews. And Father, not just to shuckle them off because we're saved and we're forgiven, but to look at our own personal lives and our own walk and our thoughts, our motives. Father, look at ourselves with very close scrutiny. Father, not for the purpose of being condemned, Father, not for the purpose of worrying about whether you miss something, but Father, for the purpose of allowing you to minister deeply, deeply into our souls, to be rooting out activities and thoughts and motives, actions and whatever, much of which we may not even be aware of. Father, cause us through this study and through our celebrations together and through the study of your word on a personal basis. Father, to be a people that walk pleasing to you, that walk carefully. Father, that walk in purity and power. Father, that walk humbly. Father, that walk dependently, walk by faith. Father, we want to be more than just a people who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and going to heaven. Father, we want to be your extraordinary, powerful, great, glorious people. Father, we pray that we all be in the Spirit, giants in the Spirit, overcoming all the vicissitudes of this life, all the attacks of the enemy. Father, all the issues of our flesh. Father, not succumbing to the, the, the brightness and the glitter and the noise and the music of this world. Father, listening to your voice, coming away unto you, spending time with you, communing with you, receiving from you, worshiping you, being filled by your Spirit. Father, do this work in us increasingly so, all for one purpose, that this world may see the radical truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Father, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this morning we continue with the garments of the high priest. You remember we have them up on the wall here. Let me try to point to that if I can. Okay, fine. We've already talked, remember, about the undergarments right here, the white linen undergarment that the priest wore against his body. Stood for what? The righteousness, remember the linen, linen, the righteousness. We then talked about the robe that went over the undergarments, the robe which was, had a seam all around, hemmed in all around the opening here, the opening in the sleeves and the opening in the neck. And so the priest, in order to put it on, had to pull it over his head and all the way down. So it didn't have any seams and it was one piece of cloth all hemmed in like that. Remember at the bottom of the cloth was what? A series of pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, and so on, all around the edges of it. 
Remember that. Pomegranates talk about the fruitfulness of the ministry. Well, we, wait, wait, we, we didn't get into the robe last week. I'm thinking we did that. Less today. What am I doing? Well, let's talk about it today then. I think we just, what did we do last week? I can't remember. Oh, just the, uh, just the, uh, the undergarment. I'm kind of ahead of myself in the preparations, and I kind of forget where I am. Forgive me for that. Okay, this morning we're going to talk about the robe of the high priest. Okay. The robe was blue and made of one piece of material alone, and it's, at its base was a series of bells and pomegranates. As soon as I said pomegranate fruitfulness, I realized, wait, we haven't talked about that. The pomegranates signify the fruitfulness of the ministry of the high priest. And the bells signified that the ministry was accepted. Listen to what Exodus 28, 35 said. And it's sound, that means the sound of the bells. Remember the little tingling of the bells. In the sanctuary, when I say sanctuary, that's another name for the tabernacle. Remember, the sanctuary. In the sanctuary, the high priest was ministering. And how do the people know that the ministry is continuing? They can hear the what? Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. They can hear the little tingling of the bells. So, and it sound shall be heard when Aaron goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. So the bells were significant to the people because they knew that as long as the bells were being rung, God was accepting the sacrifice for their sin. So the robe of the high priest signified that he functioned as God's man of heavenly blue, the heavenly character and authority. This is what that robe meant. I am God's heavenly man functioning in the authority of God. That's who the high priest was in Israel. Such a robe represented the heavenly character. You remember the righteousness, the heavenly character, and the authority of our divine high priest, Jesus Christ, the heavenly man. And so the robe represents the heavenly righteous character and authority of Jesus. That's what that robe was representing. Of course, Aaron doesn't understand that. All he knows is that he has a robe on that's blue, that it has pomegranates, it has bells, and that this is a requirement by God. There may have been some inkling of an understanding, but he knew one thing. When you come to minister before me in the tabernacle, except on the Day of Atonement, which we'll talk about, you have to be dressed properly. And if you're not dressed properly on that time, when those days when you come into the, uh, the sanctuary, his life was in danger. You have to be dressed properly. Now, I'm not so sure if that says anything about the way we dress when we come to church. Maybe it does. Just had to kind of throw that out to us a little bit. So it has to do with the authority and the anointing and the righteousness of our heavenly man, our high priest. Listen to Luke 4.18. It says that Jesus, that the purpose of Jesus' ministry Remember when Jesus first came out of the wilderness, he goes to, well, actually, this is not what happens. He comes out of the wilderness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have him going to what? Cana of Galilee, remember? And he comes into his hometown of Nazareth, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is born. Well, the first several chapters of John fill in that first year. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when you have Jesus opening the scroll in his hometown, there's about a year or so ministry that is left out that John has in John 1 to about John through John 4, I think it is. 
So, that, you know, they just don't pick it up there. John does. For some reason, they don't pick it up. So in Luke 4.18, Jesus is coming back to his hometown. He's been out ministering for about a year or so. He has disciples. And he begins the ministry by standing before the congregation in the synagogue there in Capernaum. And they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And everybody's listening to him. He's been out for about a year doing ministry. They want to hear what this man is saying. Who is this man? What is his purpose? Why is he here? What's going on? So you see, they are intently wanting to listen to him to get some kind of an indication, an inkling of who are you? And so what he does, he reads from the prophet Isaiah. Now here's what he reads from, Isaiah 61, verses 2 to 8, I'm um, oh, sorry, verses 1 to 2a. He doesn't go into the second part of verse 2. And there's a reason for that but we won't talk about this morning. And Isaiah says this, and the Lord gives Isaiah, Isaiah this prophecy of the coming Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord's favor. He reads that, and they realize, wow, this he's reading about the ministry of the Messiah. And, of course, this was one of the prophecies that they were all looking for to be fulfilled. Yes, think, Shane. He's reading. He's going to tell us something about the ministry of the Messiah here. He's going to give us better understanding, Liz, maybe of something of the Messiah who's coming. And how does he do that? He closes the scroll, and the Bible says in Luke, and all the ears and the eyes of those who were in there are listening, what, intently, Greg? What is he going to say? And he says something which creates an uproar. Thaddeus, what does it say? This day, today in your hearing. Nicholas, what? This prophecy is being fulfilled. What does that mean, Jordan? I who speak to you am the living fulfillment of this prophet. I am the one whom Isaiah is talking about. Good night. No wonder they got all rattled and upset. You see, when we read our Bible, we need to see in a clearer way what's happening, why these people are reacting this way. And why could Jesus say this? I mean, what gave Jesus the right? Johnny, why did he have the right to say this? Where does this come from that he has this ability? Because, you see, he was clothed with the robe of righteousness from God. Because he is the Messiah. Because he has been given God's authority. You see, during the days of Jesus' humiliation and suffering, Jesus was clothed with our humanity on the exterior. He just wore, if you would, just an ordinary cloth cloth. You know, something. He didn't wear anything spectacular and beautiful looking. But when we say he was clothed with the righteousness of God, his character, his soul, 
the inner man, the man that occupied this body was clothed with the righteousness, the purity, and the power of God. Although on the exterior, when you look at him, as we saw in Isaiah 53, he's just a regular-looking dude. He doesn't look like anybody special. That's, that's the Messiah. The Messiah's got to be better looking than that. I mean, I've seen the movies. You know, the Messiah is tall, blue hair. I mean, what is it? Blue eyed, no wonder. Well, he has funny looking hair. You haven't read it. Blue eyes, blonde hair. You know, he's tall, erect, maybe 6'2 or so. You know, he's what? No, he's a Jew. He's short. He has a big nose. He has dark hair, probably curly. He has, you know, brown skin. He's a Jew. He's not a good looking man. In fact, Isaiah said, he's not good looking. They said David was good looking, but Jesus, no, he ain't that good looking. So that we wouldn't desire him just because he's such a handsome dude. Hey, I'll follow you. You're good looking, man. We're supposed to follow you as you look like? Because of the beauty of his character. The beauty was not in the flesh. The beauty was where? In the inner man. Now today, the beauty of Christ is in the flesh too. But that's another story for another day. And so during the days of humiliation, what I'm going to mean is in, in his carnation, in the incarnation of his birth to his death, the day of his humiliation, he humbled himself, his humiliation and suffering. He's clothed in an ordinary robe of flesh so that his personal robe of righteousness was hidden from sight, visible only through his authoritative ministry, giving him the spiritual authority to carry out the Father's will for our salvation. So how do we know that Jesus came clothed with the robe of righteousness because of what he did. Not necessarily because of what he said. Because anybody can make up words, I am. Anybody can say that. By the way, somebody was telling me that there's a movie out called The Avengers. It's like the sequel to something. Is that right? The Avengers. Let me just share with you what I have said many times. There are very, very few movies out of Hollywood that Satan is not going to use subtly. And so in the Avengers, apparently there's a scene. I don't know the movie. One of these guys is Thor. You remember, I know who Thor is because we studied a little bit of Norse mythology. Thor, you remember the god of... And then Loki, his brother, some of you may know some of that from just history or just some religion study. But then there's this other, there's a Captain America, you remember Captain America, you've seen enough funny books, comics. But then there's this other character who wants to kind of dominate. So he creates out of what? Slush? Out of slush, this other character. And so apparently this other character is standing there. And this character is going to be the character that is going to win the day, right? Going to get the evil. He's, we're gonna, this guy character is evil. He's going to you know, destroy the other good guys. And they ask him, what's your name? And he says, I am. May I say this without screaming? No, 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 I really mean it. Every believer, first of all, if you go to the movie, but when you hear that, you should have gotten up and left. Amen, Say it again. 
you should have gotten up and left. I am is one name on the heaven that is given for our salvation. I am. His name is Jesus Christ. Anybody and anything else who espouses for that, no matter what it is, even for our entertainment, we should reject. Oh, I know it's radical. I know I'm extreme. Be careful of Hollywood. What proved he wore a robe of righteousness? Man, I can't stomp around on this concrete. This hurts my feet. <laughs> what proves it? His authority, the exercise of authority. Listen to this. Listen, Matthew 9, chapter 2, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Some men brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, paralytic Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. What? What? <laughs> you can imagine the Pharisees, and understandably so. I don't knock them. Right, Bill? They should have been upset. At some of this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this guy is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain such evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? So that you may know that the Son of God or the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, I am the Messiah. And he said to the paralytic, paralytic get up. Take up your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home, and the crowd saw this, and they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. The blue robe represents the authority of the righteousness of God upon the earth on our behalf. Because Jesus was God's representative heavenly man. I saw that name, heavenly man, years and years ago. I've always loved it. He's the heavenly man. Because Jesus was God's representative. Remember we talked about representation, representing us. We were in him. We were being represented before God in him, in the sacrifice of the high priest when he goes into the Holy of Holies. We are being represented in that sacrifice. So that when that sacrifice is accepted, it is accepted for us on our behalf as Aaron makes sacrifice for the sin of the people. So Jesus is our representative man. Because Jesus was God's representative heavenly man clothed with the robe of righteousness, he was able to exercise authority over diseases, over demons, over nature, over death. Jesus was able and actually exercised authority over every aspect of the fall. Everything that sin touched before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus touched it back and said every aspect of sin, every aspect of the fall. How much, Butch? Every aspect of the fall. I am going to show you what I'm going to do to it when I go to the cross and in the resurrection. You see that aspect? And he touched every single aspect of the fall because of sin. And he said in doing so, these aspects, these results of the fall will fall themselves. You see, the fall will fall. Death will 
die. That's what he's doing, exercising authority on earth. That's what you see a little bit in the plagues in Egypt. You see that kind of a thing, God touching in Egypt. Everything about your life, everything about your world, everything about your religion, everything about your culture, I am touching it today to show you that it all will be put away in death. Amen? See, this Bible is incredible. It is, who said this the other day? A library. Were you talk, is that from, we talked about that, wasn't it? Bill was sharing me, someone said, it's a library. It's not just a bunch of, it's a library. It's 66 compartments. Offices, places, it's a library, 66 books. You see, this means that his ministry was fruitful as signified. How do we know it was fruitful? Well, when you read Acts 2.41, 3,000 people get saved. When you read Acts 4.4, 5,000 people get saved. It's fruitful. The pomegranates say it is fruitful. It's going to be a fruitful ministry. This is not going to be a minuscule kind of a thing. A few people's lives are going to be touched. It's a fruitful ministry. It was also not only naturally fruitful of, you know, spiritually when the people being born again, but it was spiritually fruitful. 1 Corinthians 12. Remember, the gifts of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit. The pomegranates are telling us, that the ministry of Israel's high priest typifies the overabundant and overflowing fruitfulness of the Son of God. And one other fruitfulness I have to share with you is in Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20, the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit. I didn't put that in there. That's a freebie. Romans 5.20, you just go read that for yourself. The second part of that verse, the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit, of, of the ministry, Pomegranates, speak about Romans 5.20, the second part of the verse. Some of you may have to scurry over there. Hopefully you will know it already, but if you don't, learn it. Shall I say what it is? Somebody read it to us. Huh? <laughs> it's on my voicemail. That's right, I forgot about that. Where sin abounds, what? Grace, what? More, over, it's word hyper in the Greek. So much more abounds. The pomegranates show that the grace of God abounds over everything, not only just barely, but so much that it just blows it all away forever. This is the God we serve. This is the high priest who has mediated between our sin and God's holiness for us. How do we know that the ministry of our high priest is accepted by God? How do we know that Jesus' ministry was accepted? Well, first of all, the resurrection tells us Jesus' ministry was accepted by God for himself as his own personal ministry. But how do we know that that ministry was effective for me and for you? How do we know that we were in Christ having our sins dealt with in his death, and being declared justified, forgiven in his resurrection. How do I know that's for us? How do I know that's mine? How do you know it's yours? Well, not only because Jesus is alive, but there's a second part of that. 
Because if it weren't for the second part of it, none of us would be here saved. Listen to this. I'll tell you how you know. You see, because the sound of the bells, the tingling, 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 said that it was an acceptable ministry to God, therefore the people could rejoice. The sound of the bells, Stephen. Listen to the sound of the bells. Listen to this verse, Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they came from heaven. Out of the sanctuary of heaven, just out of the sanctuary of the tabernacle, with the bells a-tingling, a sound. But this wasn't a couple of tinglings. This was the sound of the Holy Spirit. Like a mighty rushing wind. Remember in Ezekiel 36? I will put my spirit rock within you. Remember Ezekiel 37, breathe to the dry bones. Remember John 3, 3, you must be born again. Remember John 20, verse 17, Jesus, breathe on them, the Holy Spirit. Remember all that kind of coming together? And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The sound, the sound of the tingling of the bells because of the accepted work of our great high priest. How do I know that Jesus obtained forgiveness for my sin? How do you know he obtained forgiveness for your sin? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? We have the Holy Spirit, which is God's sounding from heaven that these are my people because the sacrifice of his great son on that day at the cross has been fully, finally, and forever accepted for the cleansing of all our sin, of all our sin. No more purgatory. No more daily sacrifice of Jesus on the altar. It is a completed work forever. You see, thank you. Yell if you want to. I always yell. These are shouting words, friends. These are shouting words. Hopefully my daily walk shouts as much as my mouth does. So also today, the sound of Jesus' ministry, the sound of the bells, can still be heard through the changed lives of those who are being saved as Jesus continues to minister on our behalf before God, even though we can't see him. Where does it say he's ministering on our behalf? Interceding before God. Hebrews 7, 25. Remember? He ever intercedes. What does that mean? He ever remains before the very face of of God the Father at the right hand of authority. And in him, God, having accepted him and given him authority over all as a human, as a risen, exalted human, we are now in him being accepted. And as I've said it before, and I'll say it again, as long as Jesus remains before the throne of God the Father, as long as he remains as the heavenly man, the Son of Man and the Son of God, as long as that occurs, we 
are accepted by God. The only way we can be unaccepted is that Jesus ceases to be and lays down his humanity, which he is not going to do. So how secure are we? How secure? Very. Eternally. Eternally secure. So if you worry about if you've done something that unrattles God, if you've done something that unrattles God and you were seeking him by faith, the only way you can lose that standing before God is if Jesus divests himself of his risen humanity. He's not going to do it. You, te- you see, today as we sit here, Jesus is wearing his robe. Listen to Revelation 1.13. In the midst of the lamp stands like one like a son of man. He, this is John saying what he saw, whom he saw. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Remember the sash. Revelation 19, 13 to 16. I'm just going to read parts of these verses. He, meaning the Son of God, is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has a new name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When was Jesus crowned King of kings and Lord of lords? Somewhere between the resurrection and the ascension at the end of the 50 day, 40 days. Remember that? Why? Because what does he say in Matthew 28, 20? I mean, in Matthew 28, 18. Heavens, help me. Is it 18 or 20? <laughs> I forgot my verse. All authority. How much? All authority in heaven and earth. Where? In heaven and earth. Has been given to me. Well, I thought Jesus, the divine Son of God, had all authority. You see, Jesus, the divine Son of God, intrinsically because of who He is, the eternal God the Son, one with the Father forever and ever, unceasingly having been and ever will be divine, He has in Himself intrinsically all authority. Sharice, He has all authority. Well, why is He telling us He has been given authority? If you have all authority, how can you be given authority? Because now he's not only the eternal son of God, he's the eternal man. And as a man, as a man, he has been given all authority. Now, therefore, a man rules the cosmos. And a man will bring back the cosmos to its original intention. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And the great city of Jerusalem will come out of the heavens and be upon the earth. And heaven and earth will become one. And God will be among his people. And this heavenly man, Jesus Christ, will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. Amen? Yes. All of that in the high priesthood. All of it. You see why we need to know so much more about the Bible. Not just a little reading here or there. Get into this great book. Because as we do, we are getting into our great God. Let's talk about the ephod, and that will be the last part of the clothing. The ephod is this outer robe here. It's a real colorful looking thing. The ephod was an outer garment worn over the robe. Kind of like a jacket. It was made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and linen materials and was clasped at the shoulders. It was two pieces coming together at the shoulders. It was clasped with a gold clasp containing an onyx stone on each shoulder, bearing in each onyx stone the six names and the six names, one on the, six on the left, six on the right, of the sons of Jacob. 
the soda in the Bible is a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of strength. Isaiah twenty two twenty two, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. Remember in Isaiah somewhere, it says what? Chapter what? Nine, remember? Isaiah 9. and the government. What does that mean? The ruling authority. Where? In heaven and earth. How do we know that? Because of Matthew 28. Is it 18 or 20? Now I got stuck. 18, thank you. 18 through 20, that's right. And so the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of the end of the, his kingdom there shall be what? There ain't going to be no end. See, the shoulder, the place of burden bearing. In the same way that Israel's high priest carried the people on his shoulders, Jesus, our good shepherd high priest, carries us. Listen to Luke 15, 3 through 6. Then Jesus told them of this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. We were the lost sheep. Jesus found us by the Holy Spirit, and he puts us on his shoulders. We are being carried if you would, on the shoulders. And that's what is emblematic of the onyx stones up here, right at the shoulders. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 30. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And remember the yoke? It was that big old wooden thing that sat on the shoulders of the oxen as they walked together. So next week we'll talk about the breastplate and we'll talk about uh, the turban or the helmet, I'm sorry, the cap or the crown, and we'll get into some other things. Be reading and looking at Leviticus 16. There are four divisions of it. Well, basically there's an introduction and a closing, but in that there are four divisions. Read the preparation for the high priest, the preparation for the sacrifices, how to enter the most holy place, and the atoning itself and then coming out. Because we're going to begin getting into those, not every detail, but generally the details of that. So when we look at Jesus' ministry, we can have a better understanding and appreciation of sin, of God's glory, of how to approach God, of the wrath being averted. Remember, propitiation, expiation of the glory of God in all of this. Amen? Thank you for being here.